Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans, welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week, we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today we're talking about bad behavior in restaurants and the etiquette of sending your food back. Plus, we have special guest Liz Myong of the new Arts Access Partnership between the Dallas Morning News and KERA. She'll be talking about the role of food in the arts community, as well as her favorite dishes from her Korean heritage. It all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food. Like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make every recipe in the cookbook foodie or a my favorite recipe is reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. Be sure to go to dallasnews.com slash food after this for information on our show and helpful links. We're also gearing up for the holiday season, and we want to hear about your favorite holiday dishes and cooking hacks. So please share with us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, we'll be joined by Arts Access reporter Liz Myong. Right now, I'm joined by food writers Sarah Blaskovich and Claire Ballard to talk about what's trending. One of the biggest restaurant stories that won't seem to go away is the feud between comedian James Corden and Balthazar Restaurant in New York City. The late night host was initially banned for being rude to the staff, but then he was unbanned. And then I think right now he might be banned again. (laughs) I think it was over an omelet. Wait, I think it was an egg yolk omelet, which the internet is confused about, understandably. (laughs) I never heard of that. The story says, quote, a little bit of egg white got in it. And apparently she's allergic. Don't the whites touch the yolks? That doesn't really make sense to me. And I have a child with food allergies, so. He was rude to the staff. And then it became a big thing with the um, the Balthazar restaurant owner, I believe, called him like a tiny cretin of a man, which I just thought was funny. I mean, <laughs> such not, a diss. Not nice, but <laughs> hilarious diss. So I think James Corden went on like an apology tour and talked a lot about <laughs> eggs. An apology tour. But I think he also defended himself. And well, so he then they took were, it back, basically. It yeah. sounded like he was like, I did nothing wrong. Yeah. So basically he apologized, but not really. And so now he's being banned again. And it's still like this big feud but anyway it kind of begs the question of bad behavior in restaurants like what is over the top abusive to staff and what is the etiquette of actually sending something back I think it is never okay to be unkind in life and I think we've all been unkind and felt badly about it and apologized but restaurants are not different in that way and for some reason I feel like people think that they can abuse servers mm-hmm. who probably didn't make the food so they're they're not really responsible for what's on the plate although they can help fix it that's my number one thing is let's not be unkind right. to people we don't know and people who are technically serving you there is a right way to send back food and it's sort of hard to do I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's uncomfortable for yeah. me I don't like to send food back because I don't I don't want to be a problem in an industry that I adjacently work in I know how hard restaurant workers work. We talk a lot to the people on the inside of restaurants. Sending food back, also difficult for someone like me who probably errs on the side of being too polite. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a good server, a good restaurant owner, a good kitchen staff cares about bringing the right dish as ordered. If you can ask politely to have the dish that you ordered, I think most places would bring it to you. I think if people had an understanding of what 
back of house looks like and what it's like to be on the serving side, I think that would mitigate a lot of issues of bad customers. True. Because it is usually just sheer chaos, organized and orderly chaos, but chaos. You know, Uh I mean, you think about how many dishes are firing and getting them where they need to go at the same time and timing it with other people's plates at the table. And there's a lot going on. It's inevitable that mistakes are going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easier to have grace for that when you've been on the other side. But that shouldn't be a requirement to be a good diner. I do think that people who have worked in restaurants, even for a short amount of time, are better restaurant guests. Yeah, for sure. Like maybe everybody should spend just a little bit of time, if not a lot of time, working in a restaurant. And maybe we'll we'll all be better humans after it. I have had dinners with extended family members who were just not good dinner guests. And I have like excused myself and gone up to the server and been like, I'm so sorry for everyone else at my table. Please don't group me in with them. <laughs> have you also, Claire, been the extra tipper? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been the one. A who's, pity. Yeah, extra like pity tip. here's the extra $10 that belonged in that 20% tip that was really left as a 10% tip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can I ask you guys, though, is there ever a moment where outrage is okay? I'm thinking of a very specific night at a specific restaurant in town that I'm not going to name, but we had taken family there because we had had so many good experiences. And we were shut down by our server. Our food took over an hour to show up. And when I tried to speak to the owner, he told me he did not care. The only response I had to that was just leaving and never coming back. But what does warrant a little outrage? And how do you Uh properly express that? I do think there is a right way to express outrage. I've also had those experiences where you go to a place, maybe you're spending a lot of money and it's just awful. This, mm-hmm. this happens. And who knows what is happening back in the kitchen or with the management, who quit that day, who didn't show up, what's falling apart. They do need to do a good job regardless of the circumstances. For some reason, I feel like post-pandemic, those situations might have happened more, but for some reason we need to extend more grace because of the two years of bad times during the pandemic. Pre-pandemic, I might have felt differently about this. But I think if you have a really awful experience at a restaurant, talking to a manager or owner, especially if it was service related as well, and just letting them know, hey, this didn't go well tonight. And most of the time, they're grateful to know. Of course, there are exceptions, like it sounded like you experienced, but dining out with someone is a great way to get to know them pretty quick, right? Like I think it's a brilliant way to figure out if this is someone you actually want to date is how they treat restaurant staff. You can tell a lot about a person. There's something about certain people when they dine out that they want to feel better than. They want to feel like someone is serving them like they're wearing big pants or something. Restaurant servers are not butlers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have a funny story about not sending food back when I probably uh-huh. should have. Yeah. So Claire and I were having lunch <laughs> when she first started this job. And so I, I think it was our first lunch together, yeah. maybe. We went to a new restaurant in Preston Center and the place wasn't very busy, but it was brand new. And I thought, well, we, let's go check this place out. We shared a couple dishes. And in the last couple of bites, I found a piece of uncooked plastic in a sandwich. And I say uncooked because the meat on the sandwich was cooked and then some salad was added onto it. And this was a cold salad with a cold piece of plastic in it. (laughs) I did not put it in my mouth. I found it on my fork, set it to the side, and the server came up a few minutes later, looked at my plate and said, did you find that piece of plastic in your food? He asked me that. Yeah. And I said, yes, I did. And I wondered in my mind if the whole kitchen staff was like, oh shit, there's a missing piece of plastic. It's 
in someone's food. So I have no idea if he was just intuitive or if they were having a moment in the back. I actually wasn't really grossed out. It I was, just it was a it was, big piece of plastic. It was as wow. if a piece of Tupperware was opened and then oh. part of that went into the big bowl with the rest of the stuff. It, it was like a scraping into the bowl problem. An, an aggressive wiping. <laughs> It was an an aggressive wipe where the uncooked plastic ended up in a bad spot. And I think they took that off our bill. And I'm not naming it because it was a simple kitchen mistake. It was their second or third week in business. And the server handled it, I thought, beautifully. And the hilarious thing, I wonder, if he hadn't have asked, would I just have let him take away that plate without mentioning it? Probably. And sometimes it's harder to be the person who doesn't want to make a stink. I think there was one restaurant I went to a while back and I ordered a pasta I don't know if they accidentally dumped an entire shaker of salt on it, but it was literally something not, happened. Not edible. Yeah. So, what did you do? but I even hesitated when he asked me if it was okay. I was like, oh, "You're crying, I saying yes." <laughs> I don't know. You know, it was hard, but I was like, "I'm sorry, but I can't eat this." I just like felt so so bad, but they felt worse. I think. When I very first started waiting tables, I worked at Longhorn Steakhouse in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, wow. And they gave us a printout, and it was a story about someone going into a restaurant, having a poor experience, and how they left without saying anything and never came back. And that that, as a restaurant, that's the last thing you want. Because in theory, the restaurant was the opportunity to prove to you that they are better than that and that they are capable of giving you an outstanding experience. And so they were like, be thankful and kind to the people who do express concerns or tell you something wasn't up to par. So if the restaurant truly wants to know and wants to have that opportunity to make it better, why do we have a hard time with that? I think it's just a confrontation thing. Yeah. And I think you don't, at least for me, you just don't want that reputation or that perception of being someone who sends things back. But then I think there's also the fear, you know, are they going to spit in my food when they bring me back the the second (laughs) round? Having worked in restaurants, I will say there was no spitting in food. Has anybody had the experience of someone even suggesting that you should spit in someone's food in a kitchen? Not from when I worked in restaurants, but we've heard of that happening. It's probably not Um, in, you know, fine dining, nicer restaurants, but I'm just going to hope that it's not as common. I feel like every time you're like, gosh, this was a little oversalted or I, you know, maybe it's bad enough to send it back. Someone at the table every time says, you don't want them to spit in your food. Just (laughs) like Aaron said. What are the odds that they really will? I think quite low. I want to hope. I hope so too. Being on both sides of the table now, quite low. Yes. If you know of anyone in a restaurant who has spit in food, please email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Uh, so moving on to another one of Sarah's favorite topics, cults. Or, yes. Or podcasts about cults. No, both. Oh, both. 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 I love okay. cults. And so um, tell us about, there was one podcast you listened to that also talked about kitchens, which is kind of relevant to food. Yes. So. The name of the podcast is Sounds Like a Cult. And each week they pick apart non-cults that have cult-like tendencies. I love this. The cult of Trader Joe's, the cult of Disney adults, the (laughs) cult of theater kids. So then they get into the cult of kitchen culture. And I thought this was a really good episode. It's worth downloading Sounds Like a Cult's episode on this because one of the two podcasters wrote a book about cults. And so she's pretty well versed in like the language of cults, which is one of the reasons I'm really interested in them too. Cults often have acronyms. Cults Mm -hmm. often have, have a charismatic leader who, though he or she may have some bad qualities, have many, many good qualities. 
Cults tend to love bomb people. A lot of these little pieces you can pick apart and you can find in kitchens. So uh, if you were going to go to the language of cults and the acronym idea, there is a language in a kitchen, right? Yes, chef. Or how you talk to the person who, you know, has authority. And that person of authority, the potential cult leader, the executive (laughs) chef, let's call it, um, that person has supreme power. And an interesting caveat in kitchens that this podcast pieces apart is that the executive chef is often not the majority owner some of them are not even owners at all. So the person running the kitchen, the ostensible leader here, doesn't actually reap all the benefits of this place, uh, but gets to call all the shots. Mm-hmm. And if anybody's watched The Bear on Hulu, as all of us have, that's a one of many good television peaks into how a kitchen works. And they brought in on the idea of a brigade, right, in The Bear. They said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to turn this into a French kitchen. And different people are going to have different jobs, and you will answer to them. And you will say, yes, chef, to every single chef. It lends authority, but it also lends this insular quality. And the love bombing idea, people after a shift will go together to hang out together. They might date one another. They drink together. They might do drugs together. They stay up late together. They have weird hours together. Mm -hmm. The rest of their friends get up at 7 o'clock in the morning to go to their desk jobs. They're asleep until 11 because they work late. Why does this sound so much like journalism also? (laughs) (laughs) The cult of newspaper journalists. Uh We should call them and see if they want to do that one. (laughs) Family, like family dinner, when everybody Mm -hmm. sits down to eat together. Yeah, somebody at family dinner cooks that meal, something that's special to them that's not on the menu, right? They serve it to the ostensible family. Everybody eats together. And then it's, you know, put on your aprons. Let's get to work. This is going to be a crazy eight hours. And especially if it's a tough night, if it's going to be really busy, you're going to be weeded. It's like you're in the foxhole together. Yep. You know, you're like war buddies by the time it's over with. Yeah. And another part of it is normalizing somewhat abusive behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is very prevalent in the restaurant industry. And that often happens when you have a very rigid power structure. In a power structure, there's always people at the bottom. In restaurants, I mean, we've seen so much of this of there being a lot of abusive behavior and really explosive behavior. And for a long time, up until recently, it's been pretty normalized. Some hazing that goes on too of like an initiation process. The hazing thing is is so right. One of the guests on the, the Cult of Kitchen Culture episode talked about how they had a club that they did occasionally called Men's Club. And it wasn't only for men. I have no idea why it was called that. <laughs> and in order to go to Men's Club, if somebody decided Men's Club was happening that night, you had to brand yourself. I, th- I think they took a butter knife and heated it up and then you had to burn yourself. And this guy was telling the story that he has them all over his body, like tons. And his wife worked at the restaurant at the time. She has them too. That's like the Nexium sex cult. Yes. (laughs) Getting branded. Seriously. (laughs) That's straight up cult behavior. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think this happens at every restaurant. We should say out loud. Restaurants are all different. But uh, the fun thing about this podcast is that the suggestion is not necessarily that these topics are culty, although some are cultier than others. Others. The idea is that there are so many elements of a cult and we think cult bad, which we should. But but then, you know, you look at a kitchen. Kitchen good, right? Kitchen generally fun. Cool place to work. And people outside just don't understand. There's a little Stockholm syndrome going mm-hmm. on there. For anybody, if you haven't listened to this podcast or this podcast episode, I highly recommend it. If you love cults like me, let's find each other. Because there are other cult podcasts I can refer you to. Um, but we'll keep this back to food. Thanks, guys. Stick around. Up next, we'll be joined by Arts Access reporter Liz Myong. 
Central Market is really into food. Like, when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. Here at the Dallas Morning News, we've just launched an important partnership with KERA called Arts Access. It's a community-funded journalism initiative that expands local arts, music, and culture coverage through the lens of access and equity. And we are joined here today by Arts Access reporter Elizabeth Myong to talk about the initiative, the role of food in the arts community, and of course, her own food memories and favorite dishes. Hi, Liz. Welcome to the show, and congratulations on the launch of Arts Access. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Since this is your first time on our show, why don't you tell us a little bit just about yourself and where you grew up? I've been covering arts and culture roughly three years here. I grew up in North Texas, so I'm really excited to cover this area. It's um, an area that I love, that I'm familiar with, that I've navigated as an eater, as an arts and culture fanatic. So yeah, I'm really excited to be here and to get started with this collaboration. And so tell us a little bit about Arts Access in general and what you'll be doing and covering. Yeah, as you mentioned, Arts Access is a collaboration between KERA and the Dallas Morning News. We really want to look at arts and culture coverage in a different way. Traditionally, you haven't heard some voices. Also, it's been covered a very particular way. And we want to give that power back to the community and ask them, how do you see arts and culture? What how do you define that? And also to kind of dig deeper into some of the challenges and issues that we're seeing there, you know, and look at the power structures at play. Who has the privilege to even access arts and culture? Who are the gatekeepers who decide who's creating art and also make it more accessible to more people in North Texas? And so how broad are you going to go with this? What kinds of arts are you expecting to cover? I want to say that it's everything, you know, the symphony. We did an arts access story at our launch talking about the challenges in having audiences return to some live performances. We also want to venture into the food realm. You know, what are food vendors doing? How do people perceive food in this area? Additionally, you know, maybe some spaces that people don't traditionally think of art, like a story that I'm working on about a tattoo artist and, you know, how she channels art into her work. So food is often called an art and is such a huge part of every culture. So how do you see food and arts crossing over? Yeah, I think the wonderful thing is that arts and food are rooted in culture and the landscape of how people see things. So I definitely want to pursue food in our reporting and our coverage. I think it's a really exciting part of what people care about in in this community, right? And I think food is one of the most prime things that people are passionate about, that they are drawn towards. You even see trends in art kind of manifesting in ways in food. And I like to consider, you know, chefs as artists as well and there's Mm -hmm. always a narrative there's always like a really juicy story within the food community let's talk about you a little bit and your personal experience with food you wrote an essay for KERA at the beginning of the pandemic about your Korean family and how your food traditions were sort of upended by COVID it was actually a really cathartic piece to write (laughs) because I think so many people were going through the challenges of just having their traditions shattered or it really did feel that way 
And so for me and my family, every New Year's, we go to my grandmother's house, we make mandu, which is Korean dumplings, and um, dakguk, which is rice cake soup. Mm -hmm. And so this is, you know, like a staple every single year since I can remember. And during the pandemic, it was the first time that we were really challenged to decide, you know, would this be safe? And we ultimately decided that it wasn't safe, especially for my grandmother. And so we stayed home and kind of did our smaller, very different kind of gathering. But it still had the remnants, like the food elements, you know, the panchan, which is like the small side dishes, the manduguk, um, the mandu, and the pindetak, which is soybean pancakes. It, it was really a reflection. Honestly, it was a love letter to my grandmother mm -hmm. um, and her ability to kind of bring us together around the dinner table, but also a reflection on how we view food. Sometimes I think there's this tension or supposed tension between tradition and uh, innovation or change. But I hope we're seeing more of that come together so that they don't necessarily seem antithetical or separate. Because I think for a tra tradition to exist and to continue on, it has to change. And so what are some of your favorite dishes like from your childhood? So I mentioned panchan, which is Korean side dishes. And one of my favorites is merochi. It's these small little fish, and I, um, I know some people get kind of surprised and scared by the little eyes, but they're delicious. They're basically stir-fried. They're like sweet and salty. So the way that my grandmother makes it, and she has these kind of like candied walnuts in there, it just has this really delicious like roasted flavor, and it just complements the kind of brininess of the um, little fish. It has this like great crunchy texture as well. That sounds so amazing. That. Where do you get these fish? You know, you can get it from H-Mart, but honestly, my favorite place to get it is from my grandmother, so I'm a little <laughs> bit lucky. I also love dakguk. Um, Yukejang was one of my favorites. It's this spicy beef stew, um, has some like glass noodles in there, and you eat it um, really hot with like rice. It's really delicious as well. And so what do you think about the Korean food scene here in DFW? Honestly, I'm really happy with the Korean food scene here. Um, this is a hill I'm willing to die on, <laughs> and it's kind of controversial. <laughs> but I think Dallas has the best Korean food scene of all of the major Texas cities. And I know a lot of people are going to fight me on that. Take that, Houston. <laughs> Take that, Houston, because <laughs> I went to school there. And honestly, it was really disappointing. You know, when they call it Koreatown, it's very spread out. Mm -hmm. And there's just a real lack of traditional Korean food. There's a lot of innovative fusion food, but it's right. not the same, you know. And I, I want that variety. But also, you know, you have to have your staples in order. Good so insight. where do you like to eat in the Dallas-Fort Worth area yeah. when it comes to Korean restaurants? There are so many places. I mean, if you go to Koreatown, you really can't go wrong. But there are some that I love more than others. There's a place that my family loves called Matgek. And it has... The best spicy pork ribs that are just delicious. I will say they've gotten slightly more pricey, but they're just amazing. They're smoky and just like has a little zing to it. The thing that I love is that sometimes you go to these places and there's just a little strip of meat and a ton of fat, but it's a really good chunk of meat and they give you a lot of food. So I love it. That sounds good. It does. Really good. I know I'm hungry. yeah, yeah. yeah. And so tell us a little bit more about um, your coverage and what stories you have coming up. One story that I recently did that I'm really excited about was I was able to go to the Lizzo concert for her stop in Dallas on the special tour. It was amazing, by the way. It was really great also because we got to talk to a lot of the fans and have a deeper kind of understanding of why they appreciate her and, you know, why they came out when it was pouring rain for the first time in months. Right. 
And it really came down to her perspective on, you know, self-love, body image, politics, and what she believes in. If listeners want to follow you, how would they reach you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth underscore Myong, or you can email me at E-M-Y-O-N-G at K-E-R-A dot org. Thank you so much, Liz. It was wonderful to have you on, and I can't wait to follow more of your work at dallasnews.com slash arts dash access. Stay with us. Coming up in our next segment, we talk about the best things we ate this week with Claire. That's right after this. Hey, listeners. This is Christopher Wynn. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News. And that, thankfully, includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com listen. Hey everyone, we're back to talk about the best things we ate this week. Writer Claire Baller launched this series about six months ago, and people love hearing about what other people are eating and drinking. So Claire, what is the best thing you ate recently? I don't know if you got the memo that Sachet recently opened for lunch. They now Ooh. serve lunch. So I went the other day and had lunch on their patio, which was absolutely lovely. They have an avocado and cucumber soup as an appetizer. It's chilled, so it's almost like a gazpacho. And it has like this za'atar yogurt on top. Mm. It was very good. It was a lovely way to start a meal. And then I had um, a Nisoise salad bowl, and it was just the perfect lunch. Uh, Sachet is one of my favorite places. I don't go out to dinner a lot, so that pleases me very much that it's open for lunch now. I know. This is one of those restaurants that I have been hoping would do lunch soon. Yeah. You have a kid. It's hard to get to dinner sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know. I'm really glad to hear they're doing lunch, too, because I had been forecasting that when restaurants close specifically for lunch during the pandemic, that many of them are not coming back. And some of that, I think, has to do with the fact that their rent is on a percentage basis. Mm -hmm. So if you staff lunch, if you turn on all the lights, if you run the heat and the AC, it's just expensive. And then you have to give some of that profit away. Sarah, what did you have you eaten anything good recently? I have. One of the best things I ate was at a Big Green Egg barbecue contest at Sunnyland. It was in the parking lot. I was one of the judges. And my favorite bite was a jalapeno popper dip. So it was like a jalapeno popper. So jalapenos and bacon and cream cheese and breadcrumbs. But it was made into a dip. And all of the pieces were smoked on the Big Green Egg because that was the point of the Big Green Egg Festival. And then they served it in a little cuppy dishy thing with a Frito scoop on top. So oh. you just like, I think a Frito scoop for the right dip couldn't be a more perfect serving vessel and got to be Frito's brand, honestly. So for sure. while I was judging, I said aloud, I like this so much. If the person who made it could please email me, I would really like this recipe. And he did. Oh, no so way. I have the jalapeno popper dip recipe. I shall make it this week and I'll see if it's as good. We also have a big green egg at my house and my husband loves to smoke and grill stuff. And so he and I will make this together and I will tell you guys next week if it's any good. But a jalapeno popper dip with Frito scoops needs to be at our next football tailgate. That sounds delicious. And I love dips. Me too. Just like Martin Short. Dips for dinner. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Dip. 
Only, only murders, murders in the building. Yeah. Yes, only murders <laughs> in the building. I have one that I want to add, but I'm totally making that dip. That sounds amazing. I will share it. In fact, I have permission to share the recipe okay. from this guy with, so maybe there should be a dallasnews.com slash food story with yes. the recipe. Oh, that's awesome. Love it. So my husband went to Perry Steakhouse on a business dinner recently, and he had creamed spinach and loved it and came home talking about it. So this weekend, he wanted to try making it himself. And it was amazing. And it was a pretty simple recipe, I think, with the spinach. And he said he like doubled the pecorino and added more cream to it, put some shallots in it. But a very doable dish that comes out really elegant. And I think it's the type of thing that you could use for the holidays, maybe even like doing a fancy steak for New Year's Eve. But the really cool part is it, of course, made a, an enormous amount of spinach. And we ate it as dip the next day. Yes. More dips for dinner. Yes. Because <laughs> then my daughter was like, this reminds me of the Trader Joe's spinach artichoke dip. Yes. And she was, she nailed it. So the next day, if you take it and put a little hot sauce on it or whatever, or some salsa on the side, we polished through that really fast, Yum. just serving it as a dip the next day. So that's another hack you could use for the holidays when you have a lot of people around, serve it for dinner, and then the next day, serve it as a dip. What and, was your scooper in the dip? Oh, it was just tortilla chips, like what you would get at a restaurant. Yeah. And it wasn't too thick where it would break the chip, like it still worked. I got a lot of feelings about that. Yeah, you yeah. have to have a thicker tortilla chip. I think a wheat thin could work with a Ooh, yeah. spinach dip. And I, he sent me the recipe so we can share that. Again, my husband with... I promise, <laughs> I promise y'all I cook and I'm a good cook. It's just, he's a better cook. And I, I hate that, but he has the special, special. He's things. got the touch. Yeah. And I guess my best thing I ate this week is sort of semi a dip. There was a dip involved. Okay. So um, we went to Encina um, the other night for dinner and we ordered the meze platter. It's an appetizer and it was a lot of hummus fried olives and mm. fried bread and some pickles with a seasoning on top. Maybe it's a tar seasoning, but I loved the fried olives and I'm currently just sort of obsessed with any sort of olive preparation at restaurants because I cannot like do this at home. Even though I think I'm going to try with the fried olives, I think I'm going to try them in my air fryer. I yeah. believe in you. Yes. I think you can, Erin. <laughs> I do too. I'm going to do it. But I'm obsessed with olives and we did some aggressive wiping through the hummus. No, you're not allowed to use that anymore. That's your final aggressive wiping reference. Sorry. Darn it. I always like overdo it. Now I can't use it anymore. So anyway, we just dipped that in the hummus and the labneh and also the fried bread was really good. But now I am on a quest to find olive preparations at restaurants. I know Lucia or it was Machalaya at the time had a wonderful warm olive dish with grapefruit and chilies, maybe something a little heat, but it was delicious. And I know Sachet also has a great olive preparation. You just said you were going to try to do it at home in the air fryer. How would you do that? I mean, like, is there a... Aaron shrugs. <laughs> yeah. Is there a batter that goes on it? I think so. I yeah. think maybe some panko. Yes. I had really good fried olives at the state fair this year. Oh, okay. They were stuffed with herbed cream cheese. Yummy. And they had a panko-like batter on them. But what they did is they put a bunch on a skewer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we say it like that in our house, but we always do. So it was like 10 little baby olives on there. And then they coated them in, I don't know, maybe an egg wash. I'm not really sure. Battered in panko and then just dipped it in that fryer. 
and then you ate them off of the skewer. That sounds great. Very fun. Do you like blue cheese? I do. Okay. Mm -hmm. I always love a blue cheese stuffed olive. I think that would be good fried. I also love goat cheese. Mm -hmm. I would be way down for a goat cheese stuffed olive, even a honey goat cheese. I think that would be so good to do a honey goat cheese. Or hot honey. honey. Yeah, hot honey goat cheese in an olive. Wait, fried. I have an idea. So that Mike's hot honey that was drizzled over the fried charcuterie at the State Fair of Texas, it comes in like this squeezy. So you, oh, yeah. you yes. could you could load up your olive with the cheese in there and then you could just stick the top of it and give a little squirt in the middle. <laughs> Inject it with <laughs> it's a little bit honey. graphic. <laughs> but doesn't you could have like a hot honey surprise. You could. Oh my gosh. I'm gonna have to go get some olives and some accoutrement. Do you have a favorite olive? It's the Castelvetrano. Oh yeah. Good answer. So if you love olives so much, where do you go to buy yours? I do like to go to Jimmy's. Honestly, I tend to find that I like jarred olives more than like if you go to a Whole Foods and go to an olive bar. Than the free range olives in the central market. (laughs) (laughs) Because those tend to be sometimes a little younger, a little greener. But in terms of restaurant olives, I do think that Sassetta has a good olive appetizer. They're stuffed with an Italian fennel sausage and then fried. Oh, my God. Very good. Thanks, guys. And we want to know what our listeners ate this week also. So please share your grocery finds, restaurant dishes, or favorite recipes with us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining, and I hope we've made you hungry for more. The show is produced by Julie Fisk. To stay up to date on every episode of the show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Aaron Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market.